Introducing From the Glove Box, an automotive podcast with Mike and Tony Tavage, the father-son team and owners of Team T Automotive in Northern Indiana. Today's topics are extinct car brands, owning a shop, and axles and diffs. Well, hello, everybody. It's uh, Mike and Tony uh, Tadich from the Glove Box, um, independent automotive shop owners in northern Indiana. We come to you with this podcast and uh, just just discuss a few different subjects each week, and uh, we're coming to you again with that. So, uh, Tony, how are you doing today? Doing pretty good. That's That's it? it. Oh, wow. (laughs) Short and sweet. Um, We were going to throw out a subject of um, car brands that aren't around anymore. Some of the... Some of the different ones, and I was looking down a list, and you know we know quite a few of these and stuff. I mean, most recently, I mean things like Mercury and Pontiac and Oldsmobile and all those uh, car lines kind of went to the side and stuff. But uh, you know, there's some other. Those were great brands. Yeah, well, they were. They were kind of. I think a lot of manufacturers figured out they had like General Motors. They had so many different car brands that were very similar that they. You know, they killed off a few of those, um, you know, Pontiac included in that. You know, Pontiac made some really cool high-rod cars and stuff. But uh, when you start having so many, they're very similar. And then as uh, modern vehicles have transitioned out of cars to SUVs and trucks, you know, things things needed to change with that. So yeah, AMC, Tony, don't, do you know anything about the American Motor Company, which is what AMC stands for? To my generation, when you say AMC, we think of a movie theater. <laughs> well, that wasn't what it originally was. So, uh, um, yeah, it was. Uh, uh, what was the best AMC car? Do you remember any of those names? A pacer. <laughs> well, <laughs> that wasn't the best one, but uh, <laughs> um, they did make a lot of hot rods. Yeah, AMX, Javelin. Okay, uh, I forgot. Yeah, Javelin. Yeah. yeah. So Javelin's made, the only one I know besides a Pacer. Yeah. AMX was their, like, 69. They made really, really fast cars and stuff. Um, I know they tried to ruin Harley-Davidson. That's not the same company. That's not the same company either? <laughs> no, that's AMF. That's AMF. Yeah, All which right. was the, what, that was the, uh, um, uh, what was it, pool table company, I think. Yeah, uh, you're, yeah. you're showing your age, and I'm showing my age. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not not the same company, so... Uh, but, uh, they built a lot of smaller cars or one of the first, uh, companies that came out there 1954 to 1988, but they built small cars when See, they uh, closed when I was born. <laughs> Here we go. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, they, they, they actually lasted till 1988, which is really surprising. I, the one thing I remember about them, they had really flat front fenders on the car. Um, and they would rush through the top because water would just puddle there and they'd just <laughs> rush right through. So they were kind of a mess. So um, Saab was a 1945 to 2012. Uh, um, first what in- a piece of crap. <laughs> All of them. Every single one of them. Sorry, Aaron Stokes, one of our mentors. But yeah, Make sure he doesn't hear that. What a piece of crap. Yeah, he stopped. He started out with the Saab, Saab shop in uh, – Nashville, Tennessee, but uh, yeah, Swedish-born uh, uh, Saab was uh, was uh, G- GM took him over uh, 
in 2000 and by 2012 closed them up so and later on in life they got worse and worse too so plastic breaking on them left and right interior pieces and just not a not a very pleasant car yeah very good pontiac 1926 to 2010 favorite pontiac my favorite pontiac yeah ws6 firebird ws6 firebird yeah, okay we just saw a pretty cool one uh, a couple weeks ago when we were going through uh uh where we're oh we're going through uh bowling green kentucky yeah arts corvette museum <laughs> yeah shout out to arts corvette museum if you ever go to the corvette uh museum in uh, bowling green stop by and see art he's got a lot of cool cars in there it was a gto judge in that there was a that gto judge it was uh, pretty cool and several other things but yeah yeah trans am um firebird was uh definitely their yeah you know their uh, make um most favorite Trans Am. I think we talked about it in an earlier episode. Was one of my movies, um, Burt Reynolds. They had one of those in there too. What's that? One of those uh, Burt Reynolds Trans Ams. Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah. yeah so uh, you know that was the old uh, Smokey and the Bandit movies and stuff. Used a lot of that. So it was amazing. A lot of TV shows were sponsored by um, car manufacturers and stuff. So you always saw that, and you see even see that now. Even uh, um, you know what's the um what's the one that we watch uh based in montana with uh, oh yellowstone yellowstone yeah it's sponsored by dodge pretty much dodge you see dodge yep. trucks all over through there so those are uh quite interesting anybody remember the checker cab company which was uh all those big yellow um cabs um were, uh, the only by. reason I know anything about this company is Mike has a fascination with wanting to own a checker cab someday. <laughs> those, those are those are pretty cool. Those things had huge back seats. Most of the body panels, I think, the fenders and the doors were off uh, like '55 Chevy stuff. So they yeah, used a lot of that. Tri five Chevy stuff was yeah. shared with that. Yeah, but it was all extended out, if I remember correctly. So the car was a lot longer than a normal Tri five Chevy. Yes. Yeah. It was. What's a Tri five Chevy? 55 to 57 oh there you go everybody you learn try five okay new little uh old guys don't call it that so three uh, years of those chevys but that company made all the taxi cabs the really big uh cabs and stuff and um in uh in the country so if you got in a taxi cab in new york city or saw any of the old uh even the old tv show taxi was all uh, all around uh, all around that type of car. The Tucker was a car. It was only made two years. They wrote hey, there was a movie called Tucker. Um, no I got nothing on that. Yeah, uh, it was a uh, Tucker tro- uh, torpedo and stuff. But it was a guy that tried to. He had to, he had a little uh, finance issues and kind of took him down and stuff. So hey, being Indiana boys, Auburn, Duesenberg, and Cord. Uh, were made uh, 1900 and 1937 um, over in Auburn, Indiana, um, which we'll talk a little bit about Auburn a little later in the in the yeah. show too. So it's amazing how many of those car companies though that there was, and how many car companies there was through the 20s and 30s and 40s, and and everything really up until what the Second World War seemed to take out a decent amount of car companies. Yeah. And, they described those companies as America's Rolls Royces. They yeah. were the prestigious uh, car. They also won the Indy 500 multiple times. Yep. So little little spin on that. Uh, what else we have? The Packard, 
American luxury, uh, Lincoln and Cadillac owe their prestige to its passing. Um, this car was uh, was uh, inspired by Enzo Ferrari. Enzo Ferrari is the Ferrari, Ferrari dude. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> broke some land speed records with that Packard after World War II. Um, uh, and even during World War II, the, the company switched, which a lot of companies did during that. And they made uh, P-51 Mustang airplanes out of that plant. So had a lot of good things. Along so those same lines, you had Hudson. Yeah, Hudson's in that group too and yeah. stuff. So that was uh, all part of that. Uh, that was at 1909 to 1954. It was the 11th largest manufacturer in a saturated market, uh, and you know, you know, their largest funding for the Hudson was the Hudson Department Store, hmm. which was like a Macy's and all those types of things. So, um, for those of you youngsters out there, the Hudson Hornet uh, in cars was actually a Hudson. Yeah, it broke a broke a thousand mile um, record, uh, averaging eighty eight point nine miles an hour over thousand miles and stuff so last one that we're going to talk about is our local favorite since we're in in northern indiana is a studebaker you gotta throw one more local favorite out there the hummer oh well yeah the hummer yeah the hummer was made in south penn also yeah. from uh, american am general yep which is was kind of tied to american motors amc in the old days too so there's some loose ties won't get too deep of that but uh the studebaker Nine, excuse me, 1852 until 1967. Originally produced of farm wagons and military vehicles, the Studebaker became known as a definitive early American automobile. They had their quirky um, and some limit-pushing uh, things uh, that they did with their cars and stuff, but they um, designed a lot of uh, cool features. I think power steering or power brakes was first with them and, and several other innovations and stuff um last studebaker rolled off the assembly line in 1966 um if you come to south bend indiana there's a beautiful museum um with that and many others it's all uh dedicated to that but yeah and it's very 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 nicely done uh allows you to go through the museum at your own pace and everything and very informative and ton of cars in a small area and stuff and very kid friendly too so yeah the one article I read on that said the best Studebaker, best ride of theirs was 1953 Studebaker Commander Starliner. Hmm. Uh, that was supposed to be their top notch. That's from, you know, this this article and stuff. But um, any last thoughts on uh, extinct cars? Thank God Suzuki's dead. Yeah. We the did. only thing they built well was a motorcycle. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Very, very true. That's, that was one of them that popped up there. We didn't get into that. We didn't get into the Kaiser. We didn't get into DeSoto. We didn't get into the Geo. You drove a Geo for a little while. Yeah, three-cylinder Geo Metro. And so. if you saw me, you'd wonder how the hell I got in that car. <laughs> that, that is very true. So that's We didn't a little, get into DeLorean either. No, couldn't get into DeLorean. Very, we did not talk about DeLorean. That was another one. But uh, We might of, have to table this subject and bring it back. We may have to bring this. We may have to have uh, part two of... Uh, yeah. uh, distinct in uh, extinct automobiles so hi my question for mike and tony is just about your whole industry and how being an auto shop owner has changed over the years so what's that been like thanks guys 
Got a caller uh, asking. Um, our our business has been around about thirty eight years, and asked uh, what's changed over that. So, um, I've been in it thirty eight years. Tony, how long? Fourteen. All right. We always have this thing. I always say six or eight years. Fourteen is an adult. Okay. Yeah. And he wants to go back when he was five years old and, you know, give all the times when dad had him over at the shop uh, picking up trash and stuff like that. But but think about how in in the time that we've been shop owners, um, how that business has changed. So, um, so I'll give you an example. When we first went into business, uh, tires were made in two different ways. They were made in radial tires, which is commonly what we use now. They were made in what they call bias ply. Um, so a radial tire basically has a steel uh, woven um, couple sections in it, uh, you know, underneath the tread. Um, and they had two different choices of that. Uh, they also still made 13 and 14 inch tires. <laughs> yes, they did. 13, 14 and 15 inch were the standards. And really 15 inch was the real standard. And the sizes started changing and stuff. So, you know, not like today's, uh, you know, we go up to, you know, 24, 26, 30 inch, you know, 20s and 22s are pretty standard on a lot of SUVs and trucks now. So that's changed drastically um, with that. Um, hey, we went through from that beginning of that, we went through from carburetors and really non-computerized vehicles to to fuel injected and computerized and computer controlled and all those different things and that was uh that was always a weird time as you gone through there because they were very uh, uh very rough around the edges let's say a lot of the early computerized vehicles and the way they kind of computerized things and controlled things and stuff so good old uh, prom modules yeah yeah it was a little chip inside the uh, computer that uh, if you had to change something going on you change this little chip inside it basically which is you know now went by the wayside too so um you know i mean again cars change cars really at that point in time didn't have check engine lights so probably all of you have seen your check engine light on your dash at one time or another i mean they didn't really have that because um which we we'll talk briefly about that we hate the word check engine light because it's such a so catch-all stupid. yeah it doesn't so here's a here's a quick thing on check engine light you think it's uh, really going to help you and give you a lot of guidance uh, they were trying to make it uniform between car companies but the check engine light will not come on if you're out of oil will not come on if you're out of coolant and your car's overheating. It, it's really about the computer control side of but the car. But it'll come on for your gas cap. Yeah, if your gas cap's loose, it'll come on for that. It'll come on if your transmission's going out, um, which is, doesn't make any sense either. So as automotive shop owners, we don't overly like that because it's such a catch-all. And literally in a modern car, your check engine light could come on for thousands of different reasons of problems so you go into your local shop and you get something fixed um, they replace some parts uh, uh, turn off the check engine light and lo and behold a week or two later comes back on um, well that's because there's so many different things all tied to it we would probably like to see that um, you know split out a little bit more and stuff but um, we're not uh, we're not in the manufacturing business we're in the repair on the on the backside, but you know, a lot of those things have just changed drastically. I mean, uh, what about the equipment? Oh, the equipment's hugely different. I mean, 
you know, we used to do engine overhauls in, in the shops and we used to do what they call valve jobs and all these types of things. We did a lot of, re, uh, you know, we repaired a lot of things. Now we remove and replace. So, you know, you get a uh, bad master cylinder on your car or a brake caliper. And we, you know, we used to rebuild those. Now you just take them off and, you know, put another, put another part on. Um, they've gotten a lot more efficient on the way they make those. And it's really... Uh, uh, counterproductive to go through the repair side of it uh, than just uh, swapping those out and stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, massive things. I mean, now, um, you know, there's cars that if you don't have an electronic scanner, you can't even change brakes on cars yep. um, on several models. Volkswagen comes to mind with that. So, well, in the evolution now, you talked about the evolution of carburetion to computerization. Now we're going through the evolution of a hybrid car to an electric car. And I am going to presume we're going to be running on some type of different alternative fuel at some point in time with other cars, too. And there's there, there's a whole type of huge evolution of change that's embarking on us on, on our transportation industry at this point in time. And that's through my years of ownership. And I can only imagine the, the when I'm sitting here, 38 years of ownership, the amount of change that will have happened uh, with the introduction of electronics and cars through that process, too. Yeah, and those are uh, uh, big differences. I remember when I went in uh, into the shop business, uh, some old timers said, you can't stay in this business. And I was 22 years old. They said, you can't stay in this business because they're going to put computers in cars. And it's like, well, I'm young enough that I guess I'm going to have to figure that out. But uh, it it uh, cleared the way, or a lot of guys retired at that point in time when they made a change. Same thing's happening now with hybrid cars and electric cars and stuff like that. In our shops, we've serviced hybrid cars and electric cars, you know, you know, pretty much since the beginning of them. Uh, but a lot of shops don't do that. So make sure that you, if you have those type of cars, pick a service center um, that does have that type of uh, skill set, um, and we do. Um, I think, Tony, one of the things that we do um, that it's, that's 100% must, must is continuing education. Yep. Um, everybody on our team, Tony can tell you a little bit about that, but everybody on our team is constantly in continuing education. I mean, we go... You know, we drive some long distances and or fly distances to go to some great training. But tell us a little bit about some of the continuing education things that that uh, we're involved in in our shops. Well, I mean, we require uh, 40 hours of continuing education every single year for every single employee. It's part of their part of their job. Um, you know, that can detail anything from from somebody in service advising and in learning about customer service and how they can. They can uh, uh, translate a technical problem to layman's terms for, for uh, you know, most of us to be able to understand that way. That can go all the way to a technician learning more about electric vehicles. Um, we have one technician that's going to electric vehicle class next week um, and, and stuff. So it's, it's something that, that we've had to uh, stay up on heavily. I mean, the... You know, just in tires and in everything. One thing that you never dealt with in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. You, what was a TPMS sensor then? Yeah, we didn't know what those. You meant. didn't have one. No. So you went to the gas station when you pumped your gas. You checked your oil and you checked your tire pressure. Uh, now people don't do that. There's a light on the dash that tells you about it. So. 
you know, we've had to go through massive studying of tire pressure uh, monitoring systems. We've had to go through studying of alignments, studying of different fluids, uh, studying of how this manufacturer does one thing and this manufacturer does that same exact thing, totally different. Um, and truly that sometimes does make the aftermarket automotive repair business even more difficult than being in a dealership because the dealership services one make one model, you know, one brand specific vehicle versus we're servicing all makes and all models. So we really have to stay up on our education, uh, even more so than a lot of other places may have to. Now, that's a good point. I think it's a continuing education as, uh, and uh, honestly, you know, the, the number of dealerships has shrunk immensely in the country. Uh, independent shops are on the same same course and stuff. The great thing in your part of the country when you find a good independent shop um, that services all makes and all models, you can have, you can be driving a GMC or a Ford truck and, you know, your uh, life partner can be driving a, you know, a, bmw or uh you know whatever else so most of most of the shops like that we're affiliated with nationwide service all makes all models and uh, that's really important so you don't have to jump around as a consumer to you know go here for oil changes and there for tires and this for that and back to the dealer for that you've got one shop that can handle all that and that's what uh that's what we do with our models and that's what a lot of our uh friends in the industry do in their shops uh, across the nation as well Yep. So, uh, so yeah, that's a little bit about, but ma massive changes, um, like anything in life, you got to continue to make those pivots, those adjustments to continue to stay up with that type of uh, work. And that's, uh, that's what we do at our family service centers. Driving the discussion today is brought to you by Auburn Gear. With Auburn Gear, you enjoy the only American-made differentials available. Our extensive lineup includes specialty models for your specific needs, from everyday driving to performance racing, hauling loads on the highway, or conquering the toughest terrains. Auburn Gear has satisfied power enthusiasts for over 50 years. Visit auburngear.com for more. Hey, that's... Uh pretty cool for us our first uh, our first sponsor so auburn gear is uh is a company that's been around a long time makes an amazing product uh for uh all the things that like tony shared with you uh from the uh you know uh hauling and drag racing and uh uh performance to jeeps to all those different things and stuff but what is a gear what is a auburn gear auburn gear or, or differential so um you know, those are what takes that power from the engine and puts it to the wheels. Um, um, that's what uh, uh, transitions that engine power through the transmission to the to the, you know, to the to the wheels and stuff. Um, and Auburn Gear builds. Um, you can take out the original one in your car and install their product. Uh, they they make a great uh, great fit product. We use them in our service centers and. Uh, it's a good product, but we're going to talk a little bit about differentials and axles and all those types of things. So, uh, and again, thank you, Auburn Gear, for uh, joining us on this uh, on this adventure. We appreciate them very much. So, differentials and axles. Let's talk about it, Tony. Man, where do you want to start? <laughs> you want to start with conventional stuff? You want to go to CV axles? What do you want to do? Well, let's. Uh, 
let's talk about conventional, um, which were older vehicles, um, or trucks and Jeeps and those type of stuff. So tell us a little bit about what uh, what those are on, you know, Jeeps and pickup trucks and four-wheel drives and all those things. Well, I'm going to go to where the failure, the number one failure of most differentials is, and it's by not changing your fluid. So most people don't realize that your differential fluid in most vehicles needs to be changed every 50,000 miles. And the leading cause of failure in a differential is water intrusion. And that can happen from either you submerging your differential and there's breather tubes in them that are supposed to be above the water grade to allow the differential to breathe that then will suck in water. Or it can just be from your differential sitting in your vehicle sitting and drawing that moisture here in Indiana where we're at can have a hundred degree temperature swing summer to winter and that causes different moisture levels in the air if you don't change that fluid that will cause water to get in there those gears and everything are so fine and so close together and have such tight tolerances that any type of water or lack of lubrication from the differential fluid will cause that metal to chafe and then those little metal metal particles will then cause the differential to lock up or start to make noise most of the time when you have a differential failure, it is because it has the lead indicator of noise. You're driving down the road and it sounds like you're going over a rumble strip constantly. Um, and that sometimes can actually be from your differential. Yeah, those that's uh, good points and stuff. So changing that fluid regularly. Everybody knows pretty much their oil change intervals. Um, nobody, A lot of people don't know of the 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 different other fluids in a car to do that. But a differential is basically takes that power from the engine that goes through the transmission first and puts power to the wheels. So if you take off really fast from, uh, you know, in a front-wheel drive or wheel, rear-wheel drive and um, – squeal the tires uh, that's that's uh, um, caused by the differential so this power has to come back through the center of the car in most cases if, if we're talking about trucks and uh, jeeps and stuff like that and then it has to do a uh, uh, it has to do a turn um, i'm forgetting my angles now 90 degree turn right um, to take the power down the middle and go out to the left rear wheel and the right rear right rear wheel <laughs> uh, so differentials also allow you to have what we call pause attraction so does one rear tire spin when you take off or do two and most uh, people want a four-wheel drive that has uh, both rear tires that can spin or puts power to the to the to the ground and stuff so those are a lot of things the front wheel drive version um that uh, has issues so front wheel drive cars have what tony cv axles cv axle What's CV stand for? Constant velocity. Constant velocity. So constant power. So think of your wrist. Uh, that's really what a CV axle uh, is. It, it allows you to uh, put power to it, but it allows it to turn left, right, up, and down. I'm doing this with my hand because I'm one of those guys. You can't see that on the broadcast. But um, but that's really what a uh, – so it's as Essentially, a CV axle is a fancy drive shaft. It is, but it's this group of uh, bearings and stuff that allows you to put power to the front wheels. But what do the front wheels have to do on a car also? They have to be able to turn. Got to be able to turn. So you can steer. So constant velocity, we need to still put power to those, but we have to allow the car to turn. A, a Like we're talking about Auburn gear, a rear differential, those 
you know, there's some vehicles they have a little bit of turn, but most cases those don't turn at all. There's they're solid rear axles yep. where the constant velocity joint had to come in um, when we did front wheel drive cars um, in a transverse mounted engine and transmission. And all that means instead of the engine in the, under the hood and the transmission in the middle of the car, front wheel drive cars have the engine and transmission really directly in between both front tires. Um, and then to be able to supply this power to the uh, to the tire to the front tires for a front front wheel drive or a lot of all wheel drive vehicles use that version also. Which to go back to our uh, beginning subject in this episode, Osmobile I think uh, engineered some of that and everything with the front wheel drive uh, side of things in the 60s and 70s along with Cadillac. Yeah, we think of uh, front wheel drive cars with uh, uh, front. Uh, you know, that power the front wheels, you know, maybe being a, you know, 1980s Chevrolet came out with a Citation and a Chevy Cavalier and, you know, everybody else had. Oldsmobile Tornado. Yeah, Oldsmobile Tornado, the first front wheel drive car, I think it knows it was like 1965, 64, 66, somewhere in there. Um, But they had a front wheel drive car and they were really way ahead of their time with that type of setup even that old uh, gmc motorhome that uh it's in the movie start or uh stri- the movie stripes from the old old days man you're really dating yourself I, well hey i'm an old dude that's what we do but if you watch the movie stripes with bill murray when he was a really young dude um and they were going off the base that big gmc green motorhome thing those had a front wheel drive setup in them with Oldsmobile power in them too. So, um, so anyhow, that's a little off the subject. That's kind of what happens with, uh, especially me. Um, but all your cars have some type of differential, some type of axle, some way to take the power from the engine and get it to the tires, get it to the wheels. A CV axle. What do, what do you service on a CV axle, Tony? Well, a lot of times you end up replacing CV axles nowadays. Talking about the evolution of a shop owner, you used to take the CV axle out and replace the boot on the CV axle because the boot will tear, um, which is just a rubber piece that basically protects the, the gears and everything where the movement happens in the CV axle, like Mike was talking about your wrist. Um, imagine a boot being around your wrist, a big rubber neoprene boot. Um, so you used to take CV axles out and replace the boot. Um, nowadays it's become so labor intensive to do that, that it's actually more cost effective just to replace the entire CV axle. Is there fluid that needs changed in those? There's grease in them that when does it it need changed, does not need changed, but when the grease does escape, that's where you can get clicking noises and everything else from a CV axle. What do you think a CV axle and a front wheel drive car? What do you think it's average longevity is as far as mileage? I think that's all dependent upon your climate, honestly, because it's a rubberized item. So, you know, rubber can dry out if you go out west pretty heavily versus here. We have a lot uh, greater chance of it getting hit by ice or hit by a squirrel or, uh, you know, road debris or whatever that way. So I think it depends on your climate. I would say on average, probably 120,000 miles, maybe 150,000 miles at most. Um so yeah a car that a car that does a lot of straight driving with very little turning you're out on the interstate those will last longer but when you turn and start and stop and turn a lot of corners that wears on them a little bit more so they don't need to be um 
service. They don't have fluid in them that needs change periodically like a differential, but they do wear out. Yep. Um, they have grease. They have movement. Uh, they don't last forever. I mean, early days, Tony, those things would last 20, 30, 40,000 miles and you have problems or you would tear the boots. So they've engineered those a lot better where we don't have near the failure. Well, and keep in mind, too, in a front-wheel drive car, yeah, there's not fluid in your CV axles, but that's why transmission fluid becomes so important to be able to flush because that differential component is built in through the transmission, and the transmission is actually what's lubricating the differential part, as I do air quotes that you can't see. Um, you know, So transmission fluid has to lubricate the front axle assembly, basically, through the transmission. Yeah, that's uh, those are all good points. So, so, so you know, in this episode, we're talking about differentials, talking about uh, axles, and all the different ways that power gets to the wheels. And again, our new uh, sponsor, Auburn Gear, we appreciate them being along with us for the ride. And please don't forget to go check out uh, them at uh, visitauburngear.com. Uh, uh, for all the different things they have. They have great products for a lot of different vehicles, and uh, shops like ours uh, are happy to uh, provide them and install them as well. So that's a little bit from the glove box on axles and uh, differentials. Hey, this is uh, father and son team, Mike and Tony Tadich. Uh, just want to thank you for hanging out with us again today. So you got anything to wrap up, Tony? It's uh, uh, shutting the glove box time. So we'll see you next time on the next episode. Take care, everybody. Make sure you're here for our next one. Have a question for Mike and Tony? Call it in at 888-201-0858. This podcast is brought to you by TMT Automotive and Momentum Drives Marketing.